Titus chapter 2 this morning. Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter. I do have some lengthy notes uh, this morning, but we'll see uh, where we get. And uh, we'll be in verses 11 down through the end of the chapter. Verse 15, the doctrine of grace is a wonderful thought, is it not? Uh, Grace, the goodwill or the loving kindness, the favor of God in our lives. I know many of you have heard the the well-known definition. Uh, Often people will say unmerited favor. And the Bible clearly teaches that we are saved by grace. And uh, what a blessing it is to know that being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But let's look at our text this morning as we begin this thought about grace that brings salvation is the same grace that teaches. And so we'll look at some things this morning. So maybe we'll call it grace that teaches this morning. Uh, but verse 11 in, in, our, in Titus chapter 2, the Word of God says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And so the plan of grace was fitted to secure the salvation of all men. Uh, It says that it has appeared to all men. Uh, Listen, none were excluded from the offer of grace. Uh, The the provisions have been made that all might come and be saved. And uh, what a blessing it is to know that. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Uh, the grace of God hath appeared unto all men. And, and a, what a, a blessing it is to experience the grace of God in our life. Uh, if you don't know Christ this morning, I encourage you to get that matter settled today. Uh, we can be saved by grace Listen, it's not by your works. You can't be good enough, but so uh, there's no point in even trying. And God's gift of salvation by grace through faith, not works. Uh, Ephesians 2 is very clear on the matter. And, uh, and actually later on in Titus, in chapter 3, it, it deals with that as well. In verses uh, three through seven, or 4 through 7, uh, yet some misunderstand this. Uh, some abuse the grace of God, and uh, some still teach that you can uh, get there by works. But I, I think this morning what I want to draw out from this is we look here, it says, For the grace of God that, uh, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Look at what verse 12 says, Teaching us that deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so some believe that grace is a license, a license to sin, they may say. It really doesn't matter what you do as long as you have grace in your life. Uh, But the Word of God is clear that that's not the case. Uh, Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Jude addresses this in verses 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deceiving the only, or excuse me, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so some uh, misappropriate this idea of grace. So in our text, uh, we see that the grace that brings salvation is a grace that teaches godly living. Uh, and, and thank God that by His grace we can live a victorious, godly Christian life. And uh, it's not in our power. You guys are awful quiet this morning. And, and so what am I simply saying this morning? Grace simply does not permit license to live this life however you so please. Uh, God still expects us to live uh, holy and righteous. And we've looked in, in this chapter uh, for those different demographics or those different stages of life, for the old, for the young, and, and all those things. And uh, so, But this grace hath appeared to all men. And certainly we know that it was once a hidden mystery, this idea of grace as we understand it fully in Scripture today. Uh, Romans 16.25, Now to him that is... Uh, of power to establish you according to my gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. And Colossians 1, 26 and 27, even the mystery which hath uh, been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is in Christ Jesus, in you the hope of glory. And so certainly God has revealed some things in Scripture over the ages uh, that wasn't fully understood. Uh, God's plan for redeeming man had been a mystery, uh, even to the angels uh, to some extent. Look at this in 1 Peter. I, I think this is interesting. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12, it says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand, the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Look what it says here. Which things the angels desire to look into. Uh, it was an interesting thing to the angels. Uh, but it was revealed to us. It began with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Really, and before that, honestly, in the Old Testament, these things were, were certainly prophesied. But uh, we started to see these things being revealed in Christ. Matthew 13, uh, verse 10 and 11, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said to them, uh, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Uh, Matthew 13, uh, 34 and 35, all these things Jesus spake unto the multitude in parables, and without parables spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so we know certainly Jesus began to uh, reveal some things, and those things were continued in the preaching of the, uh, the apostles. Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, it says this, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby 
when ye read, ye may understand it, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And we know it's made known unto all nations, uh, unto me whom am less than the least of all saints. In this grace given, is, excuse me, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus. God's made this known unto all men, uh, available to all men. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith, Romans 16, 25 through 26. And so certainly uh, I'm thankful to live in this day and age where we understand uh, the mystery of, of the grace of God. Uh, this mystery, or the grace that brings salvation. Uh, listen, God intends for everyone to hear. Uh, he's not willing that any should perish. And I'll remind you of a well-known verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves each and every person. Uh, the offer of grace is open to all who would come. And so, as I mentioned earlier this morning, if you don't know for sure that you know God and He knows you, you don't know for sure that you're saved, uh, talk to somebody this morning before you leave. Uh, get that matter settled. The invitation is an opportunity to come forward and uh, we can have somebody uh, <clears throat> take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure that you're uh, eternally secure, uh, that you're saved. But, this isn't the grace that's just to hear, but also to heed. As I mentioned, grace teaches us to live. And so what does it teach? Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. And so telling us to say no to ungodliness. Uh, that is impiety, wickedness, disregard of God and His commands, neglect of His worship, or any positive act of of disobedience or irreverence. And so we need to deny those things uh, that are contrary to God and, and His holiness, uh, those things that are ungodly. And what are these worldly lusts? We should deny worldly lusts, uh, improper desires pertaining to this life. Uh, the desire of wealth, pleasure, honor, sensual indulgences. Uh, we need to be careful that we don't desire these things. Listen, there's nothing wrong with money. But if that's your focus, it's wrong. Uh, that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Such passions as the people of this world, they're prone to. That's what this world is prone for. Right? But I want to remind you this morning in Christ, we are not of this world. Uh, we are citizens of heaven. And I, we might say one cannot love the Father if they love such things in this world. What's your focus this morning? 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 
The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So, listen, grace certainly is not a license to just do whatever you want. Uh, it teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It calls us to love the Father. And listen, if you love God, it's going to affect the way that you live in this, in this life. And so, how do we live? We live soberly, righteously, and godly. And to live soberly, uh, the idea is with a sound mind, sober, temperate, discreet. Uh, <clears throat> and we saw this in the previous verses in this chapter. In verse 2, we saw it was a, a, a teaching or a doctrine for old men to be temperate. It's the same word there. For young women to be sober in verse 4 and young men to be sober-minded in verse 6. And, and so that is throughout these. And as I mentioned before, as we looked at those different demographics or different stages of life maybe uh, in, in the previous chapters, it didn't exclude that if you weren't in that category, you didn't have to strive for those things. That's not what that that was intended for. But certainly we have different struggles and different challenges at different age groups, right? The young men may struggle with things that the older men may not. And, and so uh, those are more targeted teachings for those different categories. But uh, we should live soberly. Uh, and so I won't belabor there. We've talked about it before. But it also says to live righteously, justly, equitable, honest, innocent, holy, uh, without injury to anyone else. Uh, Albert Barnes says this, this refers to the proper performance of our duties to our fellow men. And perhaps we can sum it up in what we would often call the golden rule. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And so we ought to be, uh, live soberly and righteously and, and godly. Uh, we're not going to do a character study of our, our God, but, um, boy, to live piously. Here's what John Gill said. In a godly manner, according to the word of God, and agreeable to the will of God, and in all godly exercises, listen to this, both public and private, to the glory of God, to live godly. Uh, sometimes I think we're good at, at acting godly publicly. We, we get the outward appearance all dressed up. But what about our private life? Is our private life godly? Uh, do we live in godliness privately uh, when nobody's around? And I don't care where, who you are, that's a challenging thought. And maybe it's just the privacy of your mind. What do you allow yourself to think on and to labor on in your mind? It could be worry. Listen, be careful for nothing. Uh, it could be inappropriate thoughts. Listen, are, are you living a godly life? Are you doing those things? And so we have these things here, soberly, righteously, godly. And we might say it, it deals with three virtue points, the inward, the outward, and the upward. Soberly, that is restraint with oneself. Righteously or justly is, is how we deal with our neighbors. And then godly is our relationship to God. And uh, so... <clears throat> Are you living soberly, righteously, and godly this morning? Uh, have you experienced the grace of God that brought you to salvation that now challenges you to live differently? 
that challenge, and by His grace, thank God we can. And look what it says here, live in this present world. That we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Look what it says in this present world. Today, currently, I'm here to tell you the world's not so bad that you can't accomplish this task. By the grace of God, we can live godly. By the grace of God, we can be righteous. By the grace of God, we can live soberly. Uh, By the grace of God, we can do this in this present world. Uh, We live in an evil age, certainly. Uh, Christ died to save us from that. Uh, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God our Father. Listen, did you know we have victory in Christ? The world can be discouraging, it can be frustrating, it can be daunting, it it can feel like it's holding you down. Uh, but we have overcome the world in Christ. John 17, verses 14 and 16 says, says this, I have given them thy word, and the word, the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray that thou shouldest take them out of the world, or excuse me, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And of course we know Back a chapter in John, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 33, very well known. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Listen, we can live these characteristics in our lives out, not because we're good enough. Not because we have some righteousness of our own. Not because we can develop a, uh, such a good walk. Uh, in our own power, but by the grace of God, we can do these things because God has overcome the world. Jesus Christ is the overcomer. He's overcome these things, and in Him, we can do that. In the midst of tribulation, in the midst of evil, in the midst of whatever the challenges that you face today in your life, or maybe the challenge that you are preparing to face tomorrow as you go back to work. You can live these things out in your life if you would just uh, look to the Lord. Now, it does take some amount of discipline and commitment. We don't just accidentally trip up and read our Bible every morning. I know I don't. I'll be honest with you. Many days, the first thing I think about is not my Bible. Often, it's a cup of coffee. And coffee's not wrong. I enjoy coffee. But listen, we have to be committed to some things. Have you ever made a commitment to be faithful to be in the Word of God? Thank God you're here today. Make a commitment to be faithful to all services, all the time, whether you're on vacation or not. That doesn't mean you can't take a vacation away from here. Don't misunderstand. I encourage you, if you're you're able when you're traveling, to be in church. But listen, we can live this out in this present ungodly world is what I'm saying. Don't allow the world to get you down and to think that it's insurmountable. Listen, God is in control. He's won the victory. And he says here, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That ought to be enough encouragement to keep you going sometimes. 
just anticipating that day uh, when the Lord would return. 1 Corinthians 1, seven, So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, are you waiting? Are you looking? Expectant? Philippians 3, For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. Boy, looking and expecting. The idea here is that we are faithfully performing our duties to ourselves, to our fellow man, and to God. We are patiently to wait for the coming of our Lord. We don't get slack because He hasn't returned yet. We just trust that He is faithful and that He will come. And perhaps He won't come in our lifetime. I don't know. I remember when I first started coming to church as a teenager, there were preachers, the old guys would say, boy, I didn't think we'd last this long. I think every generation's probably said that. What's our responsibility, though? Our responsibility is just to be faithful to do that which God has asked us to do, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, just to continue on. Uh, listen, he's not slack concerning his promise. Boy, he's going to work all, this thing, all these things out in his time as he sees fit, it, whether we agree on it or not. He's described here as our great God and Savior. I think we can make the application that this is certainly uh, in asserting the, the deity of Christ. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so God will be manifest in His Son. The divine approach to our world will be through Him to judge uh, the races. And though He will be accompanied uh, with the appropriate symbols of divinity, yet will it be the Son of God who will be visible. And uh, I believe uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back someday. Uh, <clears throat> and listen, the grace of God teaches us to live in this world all the while preparing and looking for the world to come. Don't get caught up with the lusts of the world, the lusts of the flesh. That's not all that there is. I believe there's going to be a many a Christian that gets to the end of life or, or certainly if they're alive when the Lord returns, they're going to have a lot of regret. Because the focus of their life has not been godliness. It hasn't been to live soberly and righteously. Trying to live a life to honor their God, it's been to just get by and, and to enjoy all that this world has to offer. And doing it with a Christian name in front of all of it. We need to be careful. God has your best in mind. I really believe that. But that does not mean that you're going to be a millionaire. That does not mean that you will never have no need of anything. Because oftentimes the things that we consider needs are truly not needs. So don't get this idea that because 
you're going through some hardship, you're going through some tribulation in this life, and, and boy, you look at other Christians, and boy, they seem to be so blessed, and why do I have, not have all that? And, and listen, you have the same God, the same grace. It's by far a greater reward. Are we content with Christ? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so this morning, I encourage you to get your eyes off of others. Get your eyes off of the blessings of others. Your eyes, and sometimes the perceived blessings of others. And turn your eyes to Christ. And I encourage you just to seek Him and be content with Him and whatever He allows in your life. He may pour out blessings materially on this world that you experience. He may not. But he's just as good of a God, is he not? We ought not judge the goodness of our God by our material blessings in our life. I'm thankful for all God's done for me and my family. I really truly am. But I don't know if I can fully stand before you today and say, I would just be thankful for my salvation. I don't know if I can commit or admit to you this morning in all honesty that that is the true sincere desire of my heart. I want that to be what I can say to you this morning. Boy, if I had nothing but Christ, if God took my family and took my bank accounts, I would just be content. Now, I'm not asking him to do that to prove me. But are you truly content with the grace of God in salvation? If so, your pursuit ought to be to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Not the pursuits of anything else that this world has to offer. Look at what this says. We have a few minutes here. But this involves the gift of himself. Uh, as we look at at these latter verses, we, we talk about that blessed hope. And, but look at verse 14, who gave himself for us. And this is what I'm asking you this morning. Are you content with this? Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Could we honestly say this morning that we're content with the redemption that we have in Christ? We don't need anything else. We've been redeemed. We've been liberated. He's paid our penalty. Webster's Dictionary says to purchase back, to ransom, to liberate or rescue from captivity or bondage. You must understand that you could not free yourself. There's nothing that you could have done. And so apart from Christ, there was no hope. And so, but with Him we can be Rescued from captivity or bondage, from the obligation or liability to suffer, to be forfeited by paying an equivalent. He paid a debt that he did not owe, a debt that we could not pay. And I love it, he, from all iniquity. Not some, not a little bit, but all of it. Iniquity or transgression of the law, unrighteousness. 
Listen, he did something that we could not do on our own. Jesus died to free us from the guilt of lawlessness by offering his precious blood for atonement. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as, the, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Are we content with Christ this morning? Do you truly understand what He did? He did what you couldn't do. There's no other way but through Christ. Certainly we know without the shedding of blood is no remission. The precious blood of Christ. What a blessing it is to experience the grace of God and the saving power of the blood. And so what's he do this for? To redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Our works can't save us, but he wants to purify us and, and uh, make us zealous and be peculiar unto good works. And uh, we, I think we can get through this in five minutes. To purify, to make clean from wickedness, to free from guilt or defilement of sin. Uh, Webster's actually cites Titus chapter 2 in his definition. He accomplishes this through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at verse 5 in the next chapter. It says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, excuse me. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Listen, Christ did something that we could not do on ourselves. Nobody could do it other than Christ. You must be born again. You must be saved by grace through faith. But God wants to make us a peculiar people. It refers to God's people in whom He has a special interest. One which exceeds His common concern for mankind in general. Strong says this, Being beyond usual, peculiar, one's own, Special. Webster's defines peculiar as exclusive property, that which belongs to a person in exclusion of others. I thought that was interesting. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. So for those in Christ this morning, we ought to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We ought to be serving God. We're bought with a price. And listen, he wants us to be zealous. Eagerly desirous of something is the idea of zealous. Are you zealous of good works? Do you desire to do those things that are good and right uh, for other people? Beautiful. The, the idea of good has the idea of beautiful, excellent, choice, precious. Look what this says. Useful, suitable, commendable, admirable, valuable, or virtuous. Honest, meat, worthy. 
Listen, our God wants to purify us and change us from, from the, the wretch that we once were uh, to a people that is zealous of good works. And this is stressed heavily in, in chapter 3, in verse 1, verse 8, and verse uh, 14, both talks about good works. Listen, though when all is said and done, our works have not saved us, <laughs> it's of no merit of our own. We understand that. We've looked at those verses. But this morning, I, I just want to ask you, are you committed to living for God? Over the last several weeks, we've looked at these different characteristics that ought to be evident in the Christian life. We ought to be living soberly, righteously in, in those things. And are you doing that this morning? And so verse 15, as we close out this chapter this morning, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And so Paul gives Titus direction on how these things are to be communicated to the believers at Crete. He says, speak them, teach, exhort, encourage, rebuke, correct. And it says, with all authority. Uh, and I would say this, I put in parentheses in, in my notes here, as if God himself, were there. When, when Paul told Titus to go teach and, and to exhort and, and to rebuke and do those things, with all authority, as it, as it, it was as if God Himself was speaking. This isn't a message from Paul. This isn't a message from Titus. This is a message from Almighty God. And you have authority to do that. Uh, nobody ought to despise Him, to have any disdain or, or a low opinion of Him. And I would say certainly this should be the case in preaching and teaching today. It's the Word of God, is it not? Uh, with all authority. And so the sense here is uh, Titus was to do it decidedly, without ambiguity, without compromise, and without keeping anything back. He was to state these things not as being advice or counsel, listen to this, but the requirement of God. This is what God expects of His children. What has been our response to God's grace? Do we use it as an excuse to live a life of sin? Or do we use it as a sincere effort to live a life of holiness to the Lord? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day.